2020, and uh, you have not kept up with it. You're in good company uh, with the rest of the population. But if you are still going strong at you know working out or, or whatever goal you set, uh, that's pretty amazing. And I was like, why is it that so many people set resolutions? Like, how did New Year's goals become so popular? And I think it's because uh, we like to set goals, we like to accomplish things, and when you look at New Year, it's kind of like this communal thing where everyone in the whole world that are doing these goals, there's this just sense of community that like, okay, we're all trying to do something different, like this is the year to, to, to better myself in some way. And the reality is, uh, they're still hard to meet, right? Like we set goals, goals go unmet, and then it's kind of like this perpetual cycle of, I'll wait again until next year. Uh, so, so today, you know, I think people set goals because they find themselves in all sorts of different situations, right? Uh, you may be in a rut of uh, uh, lethargy. You may be in a financial rut, a, a physical rut of wanting to be more healthy, uh, an emotional rut where you're just like, man, I'm trying to overcome this, a rut of not getting enough rest. So maybe you're in a rut of just being tired. Uh, maybe you're in a rut of anxiety, a rut of living just a stress-filled life, and, and you're like, this is the year. You're like, I need to slow down. Maybe you're, you're in a rut of anger or jealousy or, or hatred, a rut of gossip. Uh, you may find yourself in a spiritual rut of not spending a lot of time with God. And, and, and so you're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to get back in tune with God because my prayer life is like non-existent. There's, there's a whole bunch of different ruts. And, and I think we find ourselves stuck in these kind of ruts for, for two reasons. One, some people may not want to get out of the rut they're in, uh, but I think for most people, we just don't know how, right? Like we, we set a goal, but a lot of times we don't know actually how to accomplish it. We don't know how to get out of the routine or how to bring about uh, the life change that we're hoping for. And so today, I want to look at a story found in uh, the Gospel of Mark of Jesus healing this blind guy named Bartimaeus. Uh, it's a super familiar passage to, to some of you, I'm sure. And the cool thing about this story is that the same Jesus that brought sight to a blind man uh, after he's been blind his whole life can also get us out of any rut that we may find ourselves in today. Uh, however extreme, however non-extreme it, it, it is, that this Jesus is still working today. So. Would you open up to, to Mark chapter 10? Uh, we're going to be in verses 46 uh, through 52. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. It also should be on the screen. This is what it says. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, this is Jesus, uh, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried, stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying, take heart, get up, he's calling you, it's your lucky day. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And as Jesus said to him, and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Uh, so there, there's five steps that I want to talk to you guys about 
uh, that Bartimaeus took in this idea of establishing a new life and kind of getting out of his rut. There's five things that, that Bartimaeus did, and I think he's teaching us too. So the first step, uh, if you're trying to establish a new normal, is to assume you have a part to play. Assume you have a role to play and, and you're wanting to get out of uh, the rut you're in. Because when you look at Bartimaeus, he doesn't say to himself, hey, I'm blind, Jesus is coming. Uh, if he stops and heals me, like, that'd be awesome. But if not, oh well. Like, he, he assumes he has a role to play. Like, we are in desperate need of God to come through and, and answer prayers and to meet our needs. But there's also this cooperation on our part, right? There's this responsibility on our part that God responds to our faith. He responds when, when we step out. And, and so uh, Bartimaeus didn't just sit here and say, well, maybe today's the day. I mean, imagine Bartimaeus' life. Like, he's blind, so uh, most days for him are probably the same. He wakes up, he stretches, he, he, he gathers himself, he, he shakes the, the dust off of his, you know, torn clothes, and he's, he's uh, making his way along familiar paths, and, and maybe he begs for some bread along the way, and uh, he, he finally gets to the spot he's at with the other beggars, and then, you know, he's, he's kind of just doing his thing, he's there early in the morning, and then the town starts to come to life. Right, so you, you hear the the donkeys carrying the watermelons to the local market. You hear the women with with the jars, you know, walking to the well. Uh, he can probably smell the aroma of fish making their way to the local market, and so the the town starts to come alive, uh, just like it does every other day. Jericho is up and running, and then something different happens. Right, Bartimaeus, his, his ears perk up, and in the distance he hears this, like, this crowd, this mob, and he's like, what's that? And then next thing you know, these kids come running by, and, and they're giggling, and they're laughing, and they're, they're uh, uh, you know, having fun and all that stuff. And more people are running by, and more people are running by, and Bartimaeus is like, hey, hey, what's, what, what's happening? What's that noise? Who, who's, who's out in the distance? And, and I can imagine him like, reaching out to grab someone, like, hey, who, who is all this noise? Who, who, what, what's, what's going down? Something is different happening than, than, than all the other circumstances. And I can imagine some random guy saying, Jesus. The son of Nazareth, the one who heals blind men, the one who, who heals lepers, the, the one they're calling the Messiah is passing this way. And so Bartimaeus, he, he has a choice to say, well, if he stops, that'd be cool. Or he has a chance to do something he's never done before. And we look at it in verse seven, uh, 47. It says, uh, when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he began to cry out and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Bartimaeus was not about to let this moment pass him by. He's like, I'm here. Jesus is there. I got to do something. I, I, I can't, just, can't just sit here. And, and it's interesting that Bartimaeus, when he cries out to Jesus, he says, Jesus, have mercy on me. Because the assumption is if, if Bartimaeus is this blind man, I would think he would cry out and say, Jesus, I'm blind. Like, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, because what is mercy? Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we deserve judgment, and then grace is when God gives us more than what we deserve, right? So I don't know everything that happened prior in Bartimaeus' life. I don't know if he has this feeling of unworthiness. I don't know if he has this feeling of not uh, thinking he'd, he's deserved anything or, or whatever, but right now he's calling out for Jesus to have mercy on him. And I think we as people can focus on why we don't deserve God uh, to 
answer our prayers, or we can focus on all the, the things in our life that isn't going right, or, or focus on why things will never change. And, and I think uh, there's this idea that God wants us in our life, not why, you know, it, things will never change. So he cries out for mercy. And when he heard Jesus is coming, I love Bartimaeus because he doesn't care what anyone thought. He doesn't, he doesn't care what the people are thinking. He doesn't care how he looks. He's just like, Jesus, I need help. But he assumed this responsibility if his situation was ever going to change. And that's what I'm trying to communicate. He didn't assume that Jesus would just stop and see him. He didn't just have this laissez-faire attitude. He's like, I'm, I'm desperate for the Lord. Like, I'm trying to get out of this situation. I need God so badly to, to let me see again, to just stop and, and notice me. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And so I guess my encouragement for us is, are we that desperate for the Lord? Like, we all have different things in our lives that, man, we're praying for and, and we're hoping for. Maybe uh, we've, we, we're even discouraged. And, and I think this, this Bartimaeus is teaching us that, man, we need to cry out for the Lord like we never have before. Like, we need to say, Jesus, stop and heal me. Jesus, come through in my family. Jesus, come through in this situation. Jesus, come through in this decision. We, we can't just kind of be like, oh, if it happens, it happens. So we have to assume responsibility. The second step is you can't wait for ideal circumstances. Look at it in verse 46. It says, and when they came to Jericho, he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. Uh, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. I mean, it's because when it says Jesus is with a crowd, imagine this, this sense of like a parade, this large number of people surrounding Jesus, because at this point, he's extremely popular in his ministry, right? So it would have been virtually impossible for Bartimaeus to try to just grab Jesus, pull him aside, and, and, and have this one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, it, it just wouldn't happen. And so Bartimaeus is blind. He doesn't have anyone helping him. He's alone. And so, quite frankly, he has all the reasons to say today is not the day for a blind beggar to make his move. Like, this is not a perfect circumstance. This is not ideal at all. And I think this relates to so many of us. Uh, I'm a planner. I like controlling things. And, and I think sometimes we're like, if, if I don't know, God, how it's all going to work out, if I don't know the plan, if I can't see the full picture, if, if, I, if I can't kind of manage uh, this thing, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to step out in faith. Uh, and we struggle with that. We struggle if we don't have the pieces, we won't move. But I think, this, I think there's so many things we can miss out on because of wanting to wait for the perfect timing. You know, like, if, if we don't have, like, a sign in the sky that's like, God's like, move right now, everything's perfect, like, we, a lot of times we don't respond because we like control. We want to be able to say, this is what I can handle, this is what I can understand, and I think that cripples us sometimes. I mean, for Bartimaeus, he's been blind his to, again, he's, he's not waiting. I mean, can you imagine if he would have waited? He probably never would have been in the Bible. He would have remained blind, and he never would have become a follower of Jesus. You know, I think we have to learn how to be sensitive to the voice of God. So if God's like, man, I want you to do this, you do it. If God says, go, you go. If you're in the grocery store and God's like, I want you to pay for the person behind you, we can do it. If, if God's like, hey, I, I want you to text this person or reach out to this family member and encourage them, we can do it. If God's like, I want you to restore that relationship and stop living in tension, we can do it. If God's like, I want you to make a, a business decision or a decision that's going to impact your family, man, we can do it because we have the sensitivity that when God says go, like we trust him and we go, even though we may not have the understanding of how it's going to work out. 
So where in your life may God be asking you to step out like Bartimaeus? Where in your life is God saying, man, uh, I'm speaking to you. I I want you to do this certain thing. Man, a lot of you guys know that I was saved during my senior year of high school. uh, And at the time, I had wanted to study music here in New York at one of the the SUNY colleges, city colleges or something. I was saved, and I felt God calling me to go to this Bible college in Pennsylvania, totally out of the plan, totally out of the way. It it didn't make sense, um, but I applied. I visited the, the church or the school with my youth pastor. I got in, and I, I just felt like God was like, Jordan, I want you to go to this school. Like, you go to New York, and you could, you know, have your little life, but I want you to go to this school. Like, you're just saved. You need to be around believers. This is what you need to do. Um, but I was like, God, that's cool. I, I don't know how I'm going to afford it. And I remember I come back home, and a few weeks go by, and I'm sitting uh, in my room with my friend Charles, and he's like, just ask my dad. Ask my, like, let me back up. To start my first semester of college, I needed $3,000. I didn't have $3,000. My dad didn't have $3,000. I was just like on my own. And my friend Charles was like, Jordan, just ask my dad. I'm like, Charles, I'm not going to ask your dad for $3,000. Like, that's insane. Well, a few days go by, and I text his dad and ask if we can uh, set up a meeting. So um, I'm in the office with his dad. We're, we're sitting across the desk from one another. And he's like, Jordan, uh, what, what can I do for you? I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. And I'm like, Mr. Steve, I need $3,000 to, to start you know, my, my college semester, I believe God's calling me to go to this school. And immediately, he takes out a checkbook, he writes a check for $3,000, and he's like, here you go, Jordan. And he said, I'll never forget, he said, Jordan, we're going to make sure we get you through college. And, and it was like in that moment where I was just like, God, you're actually making this happen? Like, I responded in faith, and I went to Bible college, I met my lovely wife, my life has radically been changed, but I think about, like, if I would have just said, God, it's not practical, like, I, I, like if I never would have responded, I don't know where I would have been. Uh, so my encouragement, we can trust God. We can trust his leading. We can trust his voice. Uh, we can trust God more than we can even trust whatever plan or whatever dream we, we have for ourselves. Um, so if God has placed something on your heart, my encouragement to you is uh, don't wait for a circumstance that you can control and, and have perfectly planned out. Because a lot of times that's never how life works, right? Like ideal circumstances that never come out. I wanted to get married to Sam two years before she was ever ready. Uh, so I'm like, I guess I'm just waiting. I guess I'm just waiting. The moment I met her, I'm like, let's do it. And she's like, no. Uh, so I was like, that's, that's cool. I'll, I'll wait for you. No pressure. Uh, third step, if you want to enter into a new normal, is you can't worry about what other people will think or say. Look at it in verse 47 and 48. It says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be, but he cried out all the more, David, have mercy on me. I mean, I, I sound like this insane. Like, this is Bartimaeus trying to respond in faith. He's trying to get Jesus' attention. He's been blind his whole life, and he's trying to get healed. He's trying to get whole. Uh, he, he's trying to deal with you. They're like, I, like, if they're in front of Bartimaeus, they're trying to get a glimpse of Jesus and stuff. Trying to respond to Jesus. And so the crowd can be super discouraging at times. I don't know if you've ever had someone tell you something like, you can't do it. You're not good enough. Your situation will never get better. 
these are all the reasons why that thing you're thinking won't work. Like, I, I don't know if people have ever told you that people in life that, I'm sorry, let me just, I'm sorry. Cool, all right. People can become so practical in life where it's like faith is discouraged because they're just like, it will never work. And so I think it's extremely important that we learn how to hear the voice of the Lord for ourselves because God and his voice, that gives us the confidence we need. Like Bartimaeus only responded the way he did because he knew without a shadow of a doubt passing by. He wasn't responding to a stranger. He wasn't just responding all willy-nilly. He was responding because Jesus was passing him by. But practically, like, how can we develop a heart that's sensitive enough to know, like, okay, Jesus is passing me by right now. I need to jump out and get on that train, per se. And I think there's a range of things that we can do to develop a heart that's sensitive to the Lord is like prayer, reading the Bible, scripture memorization, fasting, uh, uh, the Bible study, there's many different things, but I think one of the most important and neglected ways that we can develop a heart that's sensitive to the Lord is called silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. It's a neglected spiritual discipline, but it's this idea to get away from noise, to get away from people. To get away even from yourself talking and just get alone before the Lord and saying, what are you trying to say to me, God? I think it has incredible implications. Studies confirm the average person can only bear 15 seconds of silence. I'm not putting you in a box, but according to, to studies, they say like people hate silence. Like we, we can't stand it. Most people, that's why you love the radio, you love listening to music. Like most people do not like silence. Uh, but Psalm 37, 7, uh, it, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So God knows silence is important. But what is silence? Let's, let's define it. Silence can be defined as intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. So there's two types of silence that we need to practice. All right, there's external silence. That means getting away from outside noise. That means getting away from television, getting away from people, getting away from the radio, getting away from media, getting away from music. Again, not even talking to God in this moment. Uh, literally being silent. Like, just no words, just, just, you know, giving yourself a couple minutes, just be in silence. And then there's this internal silence. And, and that's the silence of getting away from the mental clutter, like the mind that just, like, mind that's, like, thinking about a million different things. This internal silence is, is God, help me to just put all that stuff on the side right now and help me to just focus on being with you right now. To think about just being wrapped in the Father's arms. To think about just being in his presence. It's just me and God in this moment. Like everything else can kind of be put on the back burner. I, I think it does incredible things for our spiritual lives. And this is the thing we practice solitude silence, not because it's some weird uh, technique, but we, we practice it to just decompress stop stimulation of. Hello, 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 hello. Perfect. So we practice solitude and silence to decompress from the nonstop stimulation of modern society. We slow down so we can actually feel all the emotions we've been trying to run away from during the week. We slow down in solitude and silence. 
to understand our desires, our thirst, our hunger. We, we slow down so we can better... Hello? Is this working? Okay. We slow down so we can better understand ourselves and our situations. Also, when we're in solitude, it has this power to help us to see like what is true and what is a lie. What is, what is a fear and, and what is, is God actually kind of confirming in my life? So silence is this time to listen, not to talk. Mother Teresa, famous Mother Teresa, this is what she said. She said, we must all take the time to be silent and to contemplate, especially those who live in big cities like London and New York, where everything moves so fast. I always begin my prayer in silence, for it is in the silence of the heart that God speaks. God is the friend of silence. We need to listen to God because it's not what we say, but what he says to us and through us that matters. So it's so important that we make it a regular practice to just step away from everything we have going on uh, and just so we can hear from God. You know, I think seeking godly counsel is good and biblical. Do that. Uh, But just in my life, some of the best uh, mentors and counselors I I ever go to or I ever heard from don't just give me an answer. They're not like, Jordan, do this thing. They help me to learn how to cultivate my own ability to listen to the Lord. Right? Because I don't want to just be dependent on going to you know, this person over and over again. I want to be able to hear from God and know what's true and what's not. So Bartimaeus wasn't going to listen to the crowd. He wasn't going to do what everyone else was, was telling him he can't do. He was just crying out for Jesus. And, and when we think about the Christian life to what the crowds of society say is normal, right? You think about the idea of tithing, giving 10% of your income to the Lord, to a world that all just like wants to store up as much as it can, that's countercultural. The idea of, of, of practicing Sabbath, taking a day to rest and not be productive and just enjoy God and say, you know what, my value doesn't come from what I do. My value comes from who I am. That's why I can rest in God's presence. Like that is a radical concept to a society that wants to be productive. The idea of forgiving your enemies, laying down your life for your brothers, blessing those who hurt you. Like everything about the Christian life is countercultural. So all I'm saying is when, when uh, uh, God tells you to do something, don't let society be your barometer. Say, oh, does this, is this in line with Jesus's life? Because, man, that's my role model, not what the mass appeals of society or even your family say, but, man, what is Jesus asking of you? Amen. The fourth step, uh, if you're trying to establish this new normal, is to don't be afraid to step out boldly and believe God. And I want to invite the worship team back up. But don't be afraid to step out boldly and believe God. Look at it in verse 49. Uh, This is what it says. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's Um, But this is what's so cool about this. Like in the middle of a discouraging season, Jesus is calling out to you. In the middle of you feeling like, man, you, you've let opportunities pass you by uh, in time. You never get back again. Jesus is calling you. In, in moments where you feel like you dropped the ball and, and you can't uh, uh, pick back up that relationship or whatever circumstance, Jesus is calling you. In the middle of discouragement, in the middle of fear, in the middle of letdown, Jesus is calling out to you. Like Bartimaeus was blind on the side of the road begging for most of his life. You would assume that he was a hopeless case. And Jesus calls out to him. It's incredible. And I think Jesus wants to intersect every single one of our lives, and I think he wants to bring us into a new normal. Jesus doesn't intend for us to live in ruts. 
He doesn't intend for us to just say, like, this is how it is. It will never change. No, Jesus is the God who calls men things out of where they have been to take them to places he wants them to be. And so I think Jesus wants to establish some new patterns in, in all of our lives. And, and this is the thing. We have a lot of roadblocks that can hinder us from getting to the place God's calling us to go. What do I mean by that? Maybe there's a certain sin Jesus wants you to stop holding on to. Even as I say that, you're like, I need to let that go. Like, that thing is holding me back from getting to where I know God wants me to be. Maybe it's not a sin, but it's a habit that's just not adding any value to your life. It could be vegging out for hours and hours in front of the TV. It, it, it could be this fear. It could be an overconsumption of, of media and news and TV. It could be the people that you allow to speak into your life. It, it could be laziness or uh, just not wanting to get involved. It could be the fear of the unknown. But we have roadblocks sometimes that stop us from getting to the places God wants us to be. And he says, man, I want you to let that lay that down so i encourage you to think about like do i have any roadblocks in my life that i'm allowing to hinder me from getting to the places god wants me to be at and so i believe jesus is calling us to step out look at it in verse 50 and throwing off his cloak he sprang up and came to jesus now, this would have been the beggar's cloak. It would have been uh, the cloak that he wore that identified him, that people could look at him and say, oh, he's blind, similar to how a lot of uh, some blind people may have, like, the walking cane. Like, they could look at Bartimaeus wearing this cloak and know who he was, what he needed, that this guy needs the alms they're going to give him. He needs the, the money they're going to give him. He needs the tithe they're going to give him. But in this moment, Bartimaeus, he throws that off. What is that saying? It's this act of faith of like, I'm not going to need this anymore. Before he's even healed, once Jesus calls him, he's like, away with this beggar's cloak because I'm about to walk. He knows what Jesus can and is about to do. It's incredible. Then we get to verse 51 and 52, and this is what it says. Uh, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. And the blind man says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus says to him, go your way because your faith has made you well. It's not Jesus' faith that made him well. It's not his friend's faith that has made him well, though we certainly see that in other parts of Scripture. It's not the crowd's faith because they doubted the guy. It's his faith that made him well. This guy comes to Jesus. He says, man, I want to see. And Jesus says, that faith has made you well. It's incredible. The fifth step to walking in a new normal is once you start walking in it, keep walking in it. I, I really believe, like, as God gives you victory, keep walking in victory. As God breaks shackles of addictions and fear and, and bondage, like, don't put those back on. Like, keep walking in this newness of life. Like, if you have old beliefs or old patterns of thinking that God is breaking in you, like keep walking in that freedom of, of your mind and, and of your, your thought. Verse 52, it says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So Jesus heals him and it says he followed him on the way. So what's amazing about Bartimaeus, you know that, because uh, the book of Mark is um, dictated by Peter, most likely, and it's written 30 to 35 years after this is all happening. And, and I can just imagine, you know, Peter's telling the story to Mark, and I'm like, oh, that guy Bartimaeus. And, and the reason Bartimaeus is, is listed here is because the book to, or the people that this book was originally written to would know him. 
okay? The early church would know him. The, the church at Rome would know him. They knew Bartimaeus because he was still following Jesus. So Bartimaeus followed Jesus that day, but he never looked back. He, he didn't say, oh, I'm, I, I need to go back to my beggar station. Man, he followed Jesus all the way home. He never stopped following him. There's one more verse I want to look at. It's uh, in Mark 11, verse 23 through 24. And this is what it says. This is Jesus talking. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. This is the prayer of faith. And Jesus is is saying, like, man, when you pray, do you believe God's going to do it? When you pray, do you believe it? Because if you do, man, we're going to start talking like it's done. But if we're not going to talk like it's done, it may not happen. Jesus is asking us, he's telling us, like, man, we need to speak words of faith, okay? If necessary, command it to be done. So whatever mountain, you know, we're facing in this life, in the name of Jesus, declare what you need to be done, done as a reality. Like, rather than saying, it'd be nice if this happens, but I doubt it will ever happen, say, I can't wait to see when God answers this. I, I can't wait to see how God's going to show up. Man, I, I'm, God, thank you for uh, answering this prayer. God, thank you for coming through for that family member. God, thank you for, for answering uh, uh, that situation. Before it's ever done, Bartimaeus threw off his cloak before he was healed because he knew what God was going to do. And I'm not saying we can manipulate God. I'm simply saying God responds to our faith. That he wants us to believe him for who he is, not not what we think we can or can't control. He's this big God that cares about us and he wants to intersect and interweave into all of our lives. And so, man, I just encourage you today, whatever rut you find yourself in, man, in faith declare that God is going to show up. That he is our shepherd. He hasn't forgotten us. He won't forsake us. He is so committed to us. It's, it's unthinkable. It's amazing. So we're going to close and worship in just a minute. Um, but I believe this, that Jesus really is passing us by. And he's in, he's in faith. So whatever you, you may need in this season, I encourage you as we sing this last worship song, man, to just give that to God. Say, God, this is, I'm believing you to do this. I'm believing you to do this. I'm in need of this. So I'm going to pray, and uh, let's just go into worship. Jesus, thank you that you're a God that has not forsaken us. You're a God who has not abandoned us. You're a God who has not left us. And God, you're so committed to us. Um, and, and I pray, God, that you would help us to believe that. God, facts can so overshadow faith. Uh, people can discourage us and, and they can tell us all the reasons why we won't get healed or why our situation will never get better. And, and Lord, man, help us to be people who walk by faith. Help us to be people, Lord, that are, are so believing your word that nothing else matters. And Lord, if you tell us that you're a shepherd, if you tell us uh, uh, you haven't forgotten us, if you tell us, man, you, you love us, help us to, to believe that as reality. So God, we love you, and we all have different ruts in our lives, whether financial, emotional, spiritual. And I believe you want to take us out of that, that you didn't come, Lord, uh, uh, just to, to, you know, watch us drop the ball. Lord, you came to be involved in our lives, to give us a new spiritual reality, but also an earthly one right now, Lord, that you care about us today in our current circumstance. 
So I thank you for that, Jesus, that you will never forget us, that you never forsake us, that you never abandon us. And we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord.